Good morning again, everyone. I hope everyone's doing well. Good. Welcome again to church. If you're online worshiping with us, welcome. Glad that you tuned in. I know Brian and Sherry McDowell, they're tuning in. And anyone else who may have tuned in, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, I just want to say really quickly again, thank you again to Jay for leading us in worship. It was awesome. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, give it up for Jay. He drove all the way down from Valley Forge to, uh, to be with us today. So appreciate it, man. Um, it was a blessing for sure. So thank you. Uh, we have been walking verse by verse through the book of Romans um, since February. I say it almost every week. It sounds like a really long time. We take breaks every now and then. Um, but we want to be here at Anchor. We want to be students of the word. And so we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Romans, which is rich. It's challenging. It's powerful. We want to understand what the Bible means, not just know what it says. So that's why we've been taking our time walking through Romans. And today we're continuing in our series, Walking Through Romans. Um, last week we, we talked about uh, the beginning of Romans 9 and, and what we can learn from Israel. Uh, this week we're continuing in Romans 9. And the title of my message today is Sovereign God. Sovereign God. If you're taking notes, um, that's the title of my message. If you don't take notes, really quick, if you don't take notes, um, I would encourage you to start. Um, uh, an old boss of mine said this to me once, and I thought it was really cheesy, but I thought it was like, oh, that's, that's probably true. Uh, a short pencil is better than the longest memory, right? Like just, you know, the idea of jotting everything down, like it's easier to remember if you write it down rather than trying to remember it. So, um, I know like when I've taken, when I, when I take notes, like God will use it in the future to remind me of something or he'll use it to, to speak something new to me, something fresh. So like you never know what the Lord will do through, through your, your note taking. So I just want to encourage you, if you don't take notes, become a note taker because um, God will use it for sure. Um, but like I said, the, the title of my message is Sovereign God. And when I think of the sovereignty of God, I think about this classic story of poor Jack. Okay? Jack was out for a jog. And one day he was jogging too close to a cliff. And he ended up finding himself falling. <sighs> well... Luckily, Jack reached out and he grabbed a branch, almost ripped the branch right out of the cliff, grabbed the branch, and he finds himself in a pickle, right? He can't pull himself up, but like letting go is a really poor option. So what, is, what does Jack do? Jack starts screaming, hello up there. Is anybody up there? Help, help, help. And I want to read to you this little interaction that happens. It says, in a moment, a voice returned. Jack, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'm down here. I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? Yes, but who are you? Where are you? I'm the Lord, Jack. I'm everywhere. The Lord? You mean God? <laughs> That's me. God, help me. I promise that if you, if you get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. Easy on the promises, Jack. First, let's get you down, then we can discuss those. I'll do anything, Lord. Just tell me what to do, okay? Okay. Let go of the branch. What? I said let go of the branch. Just trust me. Let go. 
There was a long pause as Jack, Jack thought through the offer. And then in a moment, Jack, with a loud voice, yelled, Hello, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> I think that's a, it's a silly little story, but it reveals, it reveals um, a problem amongst Christ followers today. Um, in our world today, we, and not just us, but everybody, in our world today, we feel entitled to control everything. We do. We feel entitled to control everything. I mean, think about like the whole smart house thing where you can control everything from the palm of your hand. You can turn on lights and open garage doors and all that. You control it. We, control, we, we like feel entitled to be able to control everything, especially every little detail of our lives, right? Of our personal life. I mean, we live in America, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just, we just want to be happy. You can do whatever you want here. You can be whoever you want here. Like that ideal is ingrained into our nation, right? Like just pursue happiness and be whatever you want. Do whatever you want. As an American, it's your right to control your own destiny. As an American, it's my right to control my own destiny. But what does control look like for a Christ follower? What does that look like for us? Because I'm an American, yes, but I'm a Christ follower first. I follow Jesus before I claim my Americanism, or however you say it. So what does control mean for me then? If I'm a Christ follower before I'm an American, it has to be, there ha it has to be different. It has to look different. What do we do when, we're, when we are faced with the sovereignty of God? What, how do we handle that? How do we respond? Today I want to look at the scriptures and what the scriptures have to tell us about this because I think the scriptures have something pretty informative to teach us today. But before I dive into the scriptures, would you pray with me this morning? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for uh, your word. And thank you, God, that you use it to teach us and you use it to correct us. And you, you use it to reveal truth about yourself to us. I just pray, God, today that um, as we hear the presentation of your word, that, that your truth would, would invade us. Your truth would, God, overwhelm us today, that, that we could take it and we could hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We love you, God. We give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 If you have a Bible, you can open it up, turn it on to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 17. Now really quickly, I say this almost every week, whenever I preach, I preach from a perspective of there and then. What does that mean, Pastor Ryan? I believe that for us to understand how the Bible applies here and now, we first have to understand what it, was, what it meant there and then. To understand the words of the Bible, we have to understand the world of the Bible. And really quickly, uh, last week we, we read uh, the beginning of Romans chapter 9 where Paul is lamenting Israel's condition. Israel has rejected the Messiah and he is, 
Paul, the Apostle Paul is distraught. He, he makes the claim that, man, I would, be, I would be willing to be cut off from Christ forever if that would save my people. And last week, uh, we learned a few things from the Apostle Paul and from Israel that, that we can take and, and live out today. And the first thing was we need a heart for the lost, right? Like the Apostle Paul, his missionary uh, assignment was to non-Jews, but his heart was for everybody. He wanted to see everybody come to know Christ. We need a heart for the lost. The second thing we learned is that God's children are richly blessed, right? And then the third thing we learned was, was God is ultimately sovereign. And today we're going we're gonna to continue in Romans 9, starting in verse 17. It says this, For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. You might hear that and be like, whoa, 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 Pastor Ryan. Now God is hardening people's hearts so they'll, like, reject him? What is that about? That's a really uh, jarring verse to read, and, and it makes you wonder, but here's what we can't do. We can't just take that verse and read it at face value and just accept it there, right? There's always more going on underneath the surface than we really understand, so you have to dive a little bit. You have to dig, and you have to you study a little bit, and that's one thing I love to do, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of bring to light what I've, what I've found on that today. Here, the Apostle Paul is referencing Exodus again. Um, In the story of Exodus, you can go read that God tries to warn Pharaoh. He tries to warn Pharaoh that, um, you know, hey, like, I need you to let my people go or I'm going to bring destruction on you. And in Exodus, you can go read it. In Exodus, it says that Pharaoh hardened his, his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And, and this, this idea of like God hardening Pharaoh's heart this is just God completing the process of the, the hardening, the, God completing the hardening process to reveal his glory, right? God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart without him hardening his own heart first. Um, a little, little side note, this instance of God hardening Pharaoh's heart has absolutely nothing to do with Pharaoh's eternal destiny, okay? God says, I mean, Paul says, he says, uh, he quotes it. He says, for the scriptures say that Pharaoh, God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you to spread my fame throughout the earth. It has nothing to do with Pharaoh's eternal destiny. Pharaoh could be in heaven for all we know. We don't know. This hardening his heart has nothing to do with him going to hell or being in heaven. It has to do with spreading God's fame on earth. And uh, one, more, one more aside, I guess. Leon Morris, he's an Australian uh, New Testament theologian. He uh, made this observation. He says, there's not a single instance in Scripture where God is said to harden anyone who had not first hardened himself. God is not unjust. God is not unfair. He, that is not the God that we serve. But what is going on here in this portion of Scripture, Paul is linking the hardening of Pharaoh's heart to what Israel is doing right now. Israel has hardened their heart to Messiah, and Paul is making 
the connection. He said, what, what happened to Pharaoh and, and the, the, the whole situation that, that God had to display his power because of a hardened heart, that's happening now. Israel, you've hardened your heart against the Messiah, and now this is an opportunity for God to display his power. This is a huge moment. Verse 19, well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? Paul offers like little comfort here, right? People are saying, well, like is God to blame? Like does he, does he cause us to, to reject him? And he's, he offers little comfort because he doesn't answer the question directly. He answers the question with a question which is standard in the Jewish culture. He answers the question with a question, who are you? Who are you to question God? Who are you to question how God does things? You're a mere human. The clay can't say to the potter, what are you doing? Like, what? Like, who on earth do you think you are? By not directly answering the question, he lets God be the one uh, that we have to make our objections to. Paul is essentially saying, if you have a problem with it, take it up with him. Paul, Paul's not trying to defend God in this moment because God doesn't need defending right? He's, he's saying, if you have a problem, go to the one who can answer it. Verse 22, in the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. These verses show us that God's mercy is more evident and wonderful and glorious when the background of judgment is clearly perceived. When we see judgment on the horizon, it makes God's mercy even better. Verse 25, concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah said, uh, Isaiah the prophet cried out, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. So the apostle Paul, he opens chapter nine, lamenting Israel's condition. Israel has rejected Messiah and he's distraught about it. And now he's, he's making the case for why God's not at fault, why God is not to blame for that, for that rejection. No, God, in fact, God should be thanked for uh, showing enough mercy to have preserved a portion of Israel in the first place. Like, that's, that's Paul's stance. God is not to blame. In fact, you should thank him for the mercy that he's shown us that we're not wiped off the face of the earth. This is, it's powerful stuff. This is a really powerful portion of scripture, and it all points to one thing. It points to one thing, the sovereignty of our God. 
it points, it all points to the sovereignty of God. Last week I scratched the surface of God's sovereignty and, and to refresh our memories, I talked about how the Bible defines sovereignty, right? Um, some people equate sovereignty to power, but that's not what the Bible means when it talks about the sovereignty of God. When the Bible talks about um, God's sovereignty, it, it more references like a royal authority or control, right? Yeah, a royal authority control. When I, and when I say sovereign, what I mean is he's ruling and reigning over all his creation, and he's 100% in control, 100% in control. And I said this last week, when I say he's in control, I don't mean that he causes everything to happen, right? He's not responsible for causing wars. He's not responsible for making people sick. That, that's not what I mean by he's in control. When I say he's in control, what I mean is God has allowed human beings to choose and he allows us to experience the consequences of our choices, but everything is working for his purposes. Everything is working to accomplish the mission he set out to accomplish. That's what I mean by he's in control. That's what I mean when I say he's sovereign. Now, God is sovereign. He's, in, he's got royal authority. He's in control. What does that mean for us? The question we should be asking ourselves today is how do we respond to the sovereignty of God? How do we respond when we're faced with a God who's in control of everything? How should we respond? There are two responses I want to talk about today. Two responses that, that I think we need to have when we come face to face with the reality of God's sovereignty. The first response I want to talk about today is this. We should trust in the sovereignty of God. We should trust in the sovereignty of God. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 28 says this, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Trust should be the foundation of any relationship, because if there's not trust, then we can't grow together. If there's not trust, we're never going to be able to move past where we're at right now and grow. And that's, that's true for any relationship, including your relationship with the Lord. Here in, in 2 Samuel, King David, he's praying. He's praying and he's, he's thanking God. God, thank you so much for making the covenant that Israel will always have a home. See, Israel was, was uh, nomadic people for a long time. They didn't have like a country. They didn't have land that was theirs. And then God moved them into this land. He said, this will be your land forever. And, and this is what King David is thanking God for. He's saying, God, thank you that Israel will always have a place to call home. Now, there's no, I mean, logically thinking, there's no way that David could ever really know after he dies that Israel will always have a home, but he's believing it and he's thanking God. How do you do that? You trust in the sovereignty, the control of the creator. David is displaying this trust that he has in the Lord. He's trusting that God is in control and that he's moving everything to his, towards his own purposes and that he's going to do everything he promised he, did, he would do, right? That's what it looks like to trust in the sovereignty of God. Do you trust that God has your best interests in mind? Think about it really quickly. Rhetorical question. Don't know. Nobody answered out loud. Think about it right now for yourself. Do you trust that God has your best interests in mind? Now, really quickly, when I say best interest, I don't mean that he's working everything out for your pleasure. I don't mean that he's working everything out so you'll be comfortable. That, that's not what I mean. 
Sometimes what's best for us is not easy, right? Do you trust that God has your best interests in mind? That he's doing what's best for us? Do you trust him when everything feels like it's going wrong? These are some pretty tough questions for me to answer for myself, right? Like, I mean, this is hard for me to answer for me. And I'm not even sharing, I'm, I'm not going to share this probably with anybody but Robin. Like, these answers, right? Like, I mean, this is between me and God, and it's hard for me to be real, right? Like, those are hard questions. Do I trust God when everything feels like it's going wrong? Um, A few years ago, I heard a story that challenged my idea of trusting in the sovereignty of God. Um, I was told a story of an Assemblies of God missionary family that was itinerating. And if you never, or you don't know what itinerating is, they were traveling the country in their minivan, just going to different churches every week, trying to raise money. And one day, they were traveling on the interstate. And the dad of this family was driving, the mom was in the front seat, and the two, girl, two girls were in the back of the van. And something caused the father to swerve violently, and he crossed the median strip into oncoming traffic on the interstate. Their vehicle was struck by an oncoming vehicle, and it killed their youngest daughter instantly. And it's tragic, right? It's really sad. I can't imagine what that family went to. But the part that challenged my idea, challenged my, my beliefs about trusting in God, trusting in the sovereignty of God, was the mother's response. So this van goes into oncoming traffic. They get struck. Um, and it's, it, it's bad, right? It looks really bad. Everybody's fine except this little girl. This little girl's unconscious. They don't know that she had died. Um, but she's not responding to anything. The, the ambulance is on its way. Authorities have been called. And again, this mother's response is what challenges my, my ideas of what it means to trust in God. She's holding her little girl who's not responding. She's sobbing. She's kissing her little girl. And she's yelling. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Holding her little girl that she finds out is dead. God, I trust you. I can't imagine. As a parent, I can't imagine how that would feel, first of all. But to respond like that shows the level of trust in in the control of God. I have no idea why that sort of thing would happen to a family that's trying to do the work of God. I have no idea what God wants to do in a situation like that, what he wants to do through a situation like that. But I know that I can trust him. And the mother of that family who was holding her deceased daughter knows that she can trust the Lord. That's what it looks like to trust in the sovereignty of our God. She continued declaring trust in the Lord despite her family being changed forever. No matter what happens, God is in control. No matter what happens, God is is sovereign. No matter what goes on, he's working everything out for his purposes. And as as his children, it's always to our benefit. So that's the the first response I believe we should have is trust. Trusting in the sovereignty of God. Believing that he is who he says he is and he's going to do everything he promised. The second response I want to talk about today is this. We should submit to the sovereignty of God. We should submit to the sovereignty of God. Job chapter 22 verse 21 says, Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way prosperity will come to you. 
Submission to God and his will is a key component of our faith. Submission to God and his will is a prerequisite to faith. It's a requirement. It's, it's not an option. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying we're, we're, we're handing him control of our lives. The dictionary defines submission as this, to yield oneself to an authority or will of another, to surrender. When we submit to the sovereignty of God, we're surrendering control to him. We're saying, have your way all the time. Have your way in every situation. Have your way no matter what. That's what it means to submit to the will of God. Um, I've mentioned before that I love football, right? I love football. And um, my dream when I was a young kid, I wanted, I mean, like any kid who loves football, I wanted to play in the NFL. And so um, everything I did football-wise was to, like, that was the goal. I wanted to play in the NFL. So part of getting, getting to that step was I wanted to play college football. And so um, in high school, I was working towards playing in college football, and I'd go on recruiting visits and that kind of thing, and, and um, I, the plan was going good, right? Go play college football so I could get to the NFL one day. Um, but there was a wrench thrown into that plan. I found Jesus. I met Jesus, and he changed everything for me. Well, I knew, like, I knew, like if, if I was going to, like, be solid in my relationship with God, I couldn't just go right to college. Like I needed, I knew I needed like mentorship or discipleship, right? I needed someone to pour into me and teach me how to follow Jesus before I could throw myself into the world. And so I took a year and I did that discipleship program I've talked about a lot, master's commission, and it was awesome. Well, um, as that year came to a close, I started thinking about what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? And I remembered my plan. I'm going to go play college football. So my plan was, after the year had ended in early June, I was going to start working out again, and I was going to go try out. I was going to go walk on to the University of Nebraska's football team. This was my plan. Yeah, yeah. I got one cheerleader. Hmm. Um, I was going to go walk on to the University of Nebraska's football team. And if you don't know what walk on is, it means I was just going to try out, and I was going to try to play without having a scholarship. So I was going to so this was the plan on the surface. I was going to go to college and get an edu- education. I was going to play college football. And now I had Jesus too, right? Like, how is this a bad plan? This is a great plan. And so I start telling one of my friends and mentors this plan. Like, hey, man, like after this is over, I'm going to go walk on at UNL and uh, University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm going to go walk on and, and I'm going to play football while I get my education. And I'll never forget his response because he wasn't excited for me. He started questioning my plan. Again, not a bad plan, right? Good plan. Go get your education, play football, have fun, and love Jesus. Good plan. He started questioning my plan. He's like, is that what God wants you to do? I'm like, is that what God wants me to do? What? What are you talking about? She, she knows who I'm talking about, and she can picture this, this conversation happening, so that's why she's Oh, you haven't? Yeah. You, so you can picture this conversation happening. Um, so, so like, what God wants me to do, why wouldn't God want me to get a college education? Why wouldn't God want me to go have fun playing football? I love football, and I love Jesus now. What's the problem? But as I began to pray, and as I began to seek the Lord, what he, what he really wanted from me, I, I, it wasn't clear what he wanted me to do, 
but it, it was clear what he didn't want me to do. He did not want me to go play football. That, that was clear to me, and I, I can get into why later, um, but it was clear that he did not want me to go down that path. And now that I'm submitted to him, it's not what I want anymore. Even though to the world my plan seemed good, go get my college education, go have fun, play football, right? Like that seems like a good plan, but that's not what God had for me. And I'm submitted to him now. So what he says goes, no matter how good it looks to me, no matter how good it looks to anybody else, what he says goes. That's what it means to be submitted to the sovereignty of God. I didn't know what he wanted me to do, but I just knew he didn't want me to do that, so I didn't. That's what it means to be submitted to the sovereignty of God. That's one, one of the ways it looks like to be submitted to the, the sovereignty of God. I had to submit to the fact that God knew what he was doing, that God knew what he had in store, and I didn't. I had to trust, right? Submission comes out of trust. Submission flows from trust. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9 says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Too many people see faith in God as a a feel-good remedy to their life. Too many people see like Jesus as like this pick-me-up to life going bad. And they don't, they don't understand that when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying no to yourself. When you say yes to Christ, you are handing over full control of your life to him. He gets to do whatever he wants because he's sovereign. He's in control and he calls the shots and we submit to that. When I said yes to Jesus, I said no to football. I said no to everything that I wanted. When we put our faith and trust in him, we're surrendering all we are to him. Worship team, you can come to the platform. God is sovereign. He is. He's in control. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what circumstances arise, He's in control. Pastor Richard, I'm going to pick on you for a minute because um, I, I just love, I love your response to the situation that happened with your house. He, uh, a couple months ago, they, they um, sustained some pretty heavy damage to their house, just some storms. And his response to me was, man, God is good. Like, oh my gosh. Like, your house was destroyed. Not completely, but like, how is that your response? It's incredible. When you trust in the Lord and you submit to him, the peace that you have, the joy that you can feel in those, in those tough situations, trusting in the sovereignty of God, submitting to the sovereignty of God, that he'll do everything he promised he'd do. Could you imagine, imagine for a minute, if you, if you need to close your eyes like I do, that, that's totally fine. But imagine for a minute the peace and joy you'd feel by being able to completely trust in the sovereignty of God. Completely being able to trust in the sovereignty of God in all situations, in all circumstances. Imagine for a second the witness you'd have for Jesus 
being able to trust in him completely. In a world that's suspicious of everybody, in a world that is skeptical of everything, you would shine like stars in the universe if you could trust in the Lord. The peace and joy you'd have, the witness you'd have by trusting in the sovereignty of God. What if, what if actually you actually responded to God's sovereignty by submitting to him completely? You held nothing back, no parts of your life back from him. You let him have all access and you let him do whatever he wanted to do. Like what if? Again, peace, joy. Man, God is in control. He's sovereign. Imagine the confidence you'd have in in. God. Imagine the confidence you display, again, the, the witness you'd have in, in your job, in your community, in your family. Man, let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And God, thank you that you are in control. 100%. There's no question. There's no doubt. God, you are in control. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to submit to you today, God. I want to trust in your sovereignty. I want to submit to your sovereignty, God. Teach me how. If there's anybody here today, God, who's struggling in those areas of trust, struggling in the the area of submission, God, I pray that you would pull them close. Holy Spirit, that you would begin to, to speak to them and remind them that you are trustworthy that you are trustworthy. We don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We don't have to doubt because you are who you say you are and you're going to do everything you promised you would. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Really quickly, if there's anybody in the room who doesn't, has no idea what I'm talking about because you don't know Jesus. Today could be the day where everything changes for you. Today could be the day where you say, you say, I'm going to submit myself to him. I'm going to trust in his sovereignty. I'm going to submit to him. Today could be the day where you turn your life life over to him. If that's you today, you you say, Pastor Ryan, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. I want to pray with you. I I want to um, offer you an opportunity to receive him and become his child, be adopted into his family today. So if that's you right now, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to ask you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you if that's you. If you want to receive Jesus for the first time, or maybe maybe you used to walk with him and for some reason you've walked away, doesn't matter why, if you want to come back home to him today, I want to pray with you. So at the count of three, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying with. There's nothing magical about raising your hand or anything like that. I just, I just want to know who I'm praying with. So if that's you at the count of three, raise your hand. One, God loves you so much. Two, it's time for you to come home to him. Three, if that's you right now, raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Raise it high so I can know who I'm praying with. Praise God. This is what I want to do right now. 
whether you raised your hand or not, I want to lead us in a prayer. I want to lead everyone in a prayer so that nobody feels singled out, nobody feels picked on or anything like that. I want to lead us in a prayer. If you're online, I want to invite you to join us in praying this prayer out loud. I'm going to ask everyone in the house to say this prayer, um, but repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, today I recognize that I have fallen short of your standard. Today I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. Teach me how to trust you. Teach me how to submit to you. Teach me how to give every part of me to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Can we give it up for those who may have prayed that prayer today? That's so awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. If you prayed that prayer today, um, welcome to the family of God. If you prayed that prayer online, welcome to the family of God. Don't, don't do it alone. Don't walk through this faith journey alone. Like we need each other. We have to carry each other's burdens. We need to encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. Like we need each other. And so if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, um, see us at the, the welcome table. Welcome table, right? Yes. Yes, we're working on language right now, and I've been calling it the wrong thing. Um, see us at the welcome table for some resources. Um, if you're online and you prayed, prayed that prayer to receive Christ, let us know somehow. Call us or message us on Facebook or whatever. Let us know so we can figure out a way to get resources in your hands. Um, what I want to do right now, we're going to observe communion today. So if you have your communion emblems, you can prepare them. Um, and we're going we're gonna to receive communion as a response to his word today. But first, um, I want to read some scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is about remembering. This isn't just a, um, a token thing that we do because we should. It's not, it's not something that makes us more holy than other, other people. Like, this is about remembering. It's about remembering what Jesus did for you. Did so that you never had to be separate from him. He endured beating. He endured a punishment. He endured death so that we could be with him. That's what this is about. It's about remembering. But first, what I want to do is I want to take time to repent, to examine ourselves and make sure we're right with the Lord. A lot of people, a lot of people in my, in my experience, they reject 
communion opportunities because they say, well, I'm just, I'm not doing well with the Lord right now. This is your opportunity to get right. That's what this examining ourselves is all about. It's about making ourselves right with him. So I want to take a moment and just, um, while the worship team just plays lightly, I just want to, I just want us to take a moment to just examine ourselves and repent before the Lord right now. Let's do that. on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together and remember the broken body of our Lord Jesus. Goes on to say, in the same way, after they ate the bread, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood is being poured out for you. Whenever you drink it, drink it and remember me. Let's partake of the cup together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this time that we've had to, to worship you. Thank you for this time that we've had to um, participate in communion. And I just pray, God, that you continue to draw us near to yourself. What I want to do right now is I just want to take a couple of minutes, just, just a couple. We're almost done. I just want to take a couple of minutes and just respond to the Spirit of God. Maybe you need, maybe you need to join the worship team and sing sing worship, sing praises to him. Maybe you just need to sit and just listen. Listen for the voice of God. Listen to the spirit of God. Maybe you need to pray. Take time to pray. Kevin is going to be available um, to pray if, if anybody needs it. Um, but let's, let's take a few minutes and just respond to the spirit of God. Let's not rush out. Let's not rush through this moment, rush past this moment. Let's take time and let's respond to the spirit of God right now. So you can stand if you want, you can sit if you want, however you want to respond, do that. But worship team, lead us. God, let that be our prayer today, that we will make room for you to do whatever you want to. That we'll make room in our lives to do whatever you want to do. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name. Really quickly, uh, a few next steps. Um, 
that I want to give you. Just and, and next steps are just something that we can do to, to take the message and tangibly apply it to our lives, right? Just a few next steps. Um, first one, this week I will memorize Job chapter 42, verse 2. It says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Our God is sovereign. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The second next step, this week I will pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help me trust in God's sovereignty. Like I said, trust should be the foundation of every relationship, even our relationship with the Lord. We need to learn to trust in his sovereignty. And this week I will choose an area of my life to work on fully submitting to the Lord. We all have areas that we like to keep a close grip on, keep, keep um, you know, a tight grip on, and including me. This week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on a specific, I'm going to pick an area, I'm going to work on letting go, I'm going to work on submitting it to Him. God is sovereign, and He can be trusted. Man, stand with me if you would, please. I'm going to say one last benediction, and we can be dismissed. Now, finally, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, him who is able to present you as blameless before the, ple- the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. To him be the glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for being here this morning, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us. It was good to have you guys. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Be blessed.